1: cox bringing us closer in cox serviceable areas speeds vary and are not guaranteed cox terms apply other restrictions may apply there's three sides to every story there's my side your side and the truth
0: which kelly are you edward
1: people call me Ned. i
0: photograph what my conscience asks me to
1: man they want to have him in the movie Mad max 2 it's my kind of movie shut up shut
0: up your friend can't come back oh, he's disabled i'm carer
1: you're blind he's an equal opportunity employer
0: the kids who are sick cannot do the hip-hop anymore
1: g'day folks and welcome to another episode of the curb my name is andrew pierce and this is the podcast that takes a look at australian culture and says hey Take a look at this, folks, and celebrate as much as you can. This podcast is proudly recorded on the lands of the Wajuk people of Perth region, and I pay respects to the Elders both past, present, and emerging. On this particular episode, I take a moment to have you look at a new Australian book, Lake's Edge, written by Lyndall Clipstone, who is from Adelaide. And she joins me to discuss this particular book, which is out in Australian bookshops right now August 31st 2021 so head along to your local bookstores or at least order it online if you are in a lockdown area and pick up this fantastic book let me just read the blurb on the back because that's a great way of uh, getting to know what Lakes Edge is all about when Violetta Graceling arrives at the haunted Lakes Edge estate she expects to find a monster she knows the terrifying rumours about Rowan's uh, Sylvanan, uh, who drowned the, his entire family when he was a boy. But neither the estate nor the monster are what they seem. As letter falls for Rowan, she discovers he is bound to the Lord Under, the sinister Death God lie, lurking underneath in the black waters of the lake, a creature to whom letter is inexplicably drawn. Now, this is a really fantastic book and it is uh, it slips into the young adult genre uh, and is a fantasy gothic romance, which I highly recommend seeking out. And look, I won't beat around the bush. I really enjoyed reading this. I was given a review copy from Pam McMillan and uh, also given the opportunity to talk to Linda, her, Lindell herself about writing the book and what it means to have your first book out in the world and also what goes into creating a world-building narrative like this i hope you enjoy this discussion as much as i did talking to Lindell about it and i hope you enjoy reading lake's edge as much as i did too uh, i will stick a link in the show notes uh, to Lindell's website where you can listen to the spotify list and check out the pinterest page that i touch on at the end of this discussion there is a slight spoiler question near the end of this discussion um but i believe that it doesn't really skew how you enjoy the book um I tried to kind of skirt around the narrative as much as possible because I do feel that this is a book that is enjoyed uh, discovering for your first time by yourself. Uh, and I know that if you have a, uh, a teenager in your life, they're really going to enjoy this. And me as an adult, a 37 year old man, I really enjoyed it too. So this is a book that kind of hits for all ages. Anyhow, enough from me. Let's jump into the interview with Lyndall. You got no place. And I'm feeling like a feeling, got a hunger inside. One look in my eyes. you running I'm coming, gonna eat you alive. First of all, how does it feel to, to be on the launch date, to have your book out in the world? It's got to be pretty exciting.
0: It feels really good, actually. It's sort of funny because I didn't expect that I'd feel very different but yeah like today it does definitely feel very exciting and it's kind of surreal to have this story that i've worked on for so long actually out in bookstores and i'm looking forward to going out and finding copies and seeing it on shelves and stuff so yeah i feel very happy and emotional thinking about like my teenage self and how proud she would be to have a book published
1: What what does it mean to have a book published? I mean, as you're saying, like, thinking about your teenage self, this is very much a, um, this is a book which I could imagine myself reading as a teenager. And I, I love reading as an adult, but I can imagine the impact that it would have as a teenager. Is this the kind of story that you would like to have read as a teenager?
0: Yeah, very much so. I mean, I think I sort of wrote it with the stories that I would have loved as a teenager in mind, and kind of wrote it for, like, my teenage self, so it's very much like the sort of story that I kind of needed, or would have loved to be, to find when I was a teenager, so that kind of gave it such an emotional connection as well, like, thinking maybe, like, hopefully there'll be other teenagers out there who'll read it, and it'll kind of hit them at the right moment, but yeah, it's very much a love letter to how I was at 17.
1: Yeah, yeah. Can you talk about how this story came about because I understand it started off as a, a short story and then evolved from there. Um how did that kind of how did you transition it from you know a short thing to something that is big and is expanding over over multiple books? How did you do that? Um well, lots of work. <laughs> lots, of, lots of
0: revisions and lots of time. So it did start off as a short story when I did, I did creative writing honors at the University of Adelaide in about, I want to say like 2006. Um, and this was like a short piece that was part of my work that I did over that year. And I'd always sort of thought it would be really lovely to kind of dive back in and expand the story and that there was sort of more there that I'd like to to do with it. But it wasn't really until about 10 years later that I sort of sat down to finally see where it would go if I wrote it out as like a full-length piece so it sort of was like a lot of a lot of time percolating and maybe like revisiting it every now and then to write down a few ideas and then finally it just was the right time I suppose for it to all come out but between that first draft and the final version I did lots of revisions with my agent and then lots and lots of revisions with my US editor and lots of work with all of the teams because I have a publisher in the US and the UK and then obviously Pan Macmillan in Australia who it's being published with today. So, yeah, it's like it feels sort of like it's kind of amazing to finally see it all finished. It feels like I've been working on it for so long Mm. and it's really lovely to see how it's sort of been so refined and emerged into this like final form with all of the help of like the people who've worked on it with me.
1: Yeah, it's it's great to, to hear. I mean, certainly, like as a writer myself, I know what it's like to have things kind of sitting in your mind for a long period of time and you, you are living in that world uh, and, and experiencing that world, which kind of makes it feel all the more real. Um, what's that like for you to have kind of experienced this world for so long and been thinking about it and, and you know, working on it for so long and you know how does it feel to have effectively lived in the world where the characters that you've created um, are living in?
0: It's been really lovely. I think it's a, been a sort of not so much right now, but I think when the early copies started to go out to readers, I had this sort of moment of like, like my children are moving out or something, like just letting go because I'm, for so long this world and these characters and this story had just belonged only to me and. The people that I'd chosen to share it with and now it's sort of like going out into the world and it's not my story anymore it's like it'll belong to the readers and they'll be able to sort of live in the world and make their own meaning from it and it'll touch different parts of them than it has for me and I really love that it feels so magical that you can kind of just dream up this world from your imagination and turn it into a book and then it'll go out and Belong to everybody else in a completely different way.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly, the the world that I built up when I was reading it is really uh, quite immersive, and it's a, it's a very beautiful but also very dark world too. Uh, I'm impressed about how kind of quick you jump into the darkness here. Um, how <laughs> important was it for you to set the stakes like right away?
0: I think it just I. Working on something that, I guess, has quite, like, a gothic kind of haunted tone to it, I wanted it to feel quite claustrophobic, I guess. Like, I wanted it to feel very much like letters kind of being pushed and pushed and pushed back into a corner with very little options and very, you know, like, a, a big lack of power because then so much of the fun of writing her as a character and the stakes of the story is seeing how what she does in that position, like in a position of like relatively little power and how she kind of seizes strength from what she has available to her. So I think setting up the stakes to show it kind of like the world just closing down and down and down to the point where she has to reach this drastic decision was, it was, yeah, I think, I didn't want anyone to ever feel very comfortable as much as like that would have been like nice them (laughs) it's kind of like my instinct was always to kind of keep the keep the pressure going I suppose
1: Yeah, I I mean, you certainly feel that for for sure. One of the things which I I really respect and admire as well is that uh, on your website you have a list of the the content warnings that are in Lake's Edge. Can you talk about the importance of that for new audiences coming to your work and and approaching this particular narrative? It's not like it's a spoilerific kind of um, warning at all. It just gives you a guide of, hey, these are the things that are going to be touched upon in this particular story.
0: I think writing for younger readers, I felt a little bit of a responsibility to make people aware that there was content in there so that, like, they could be prepared for it or choose, you know, like, people can make their choices about what they mm. can, um, are and are not comfortable with. And so based on, like, a lot of the magic system being based on sacrifice and some of the things from Rowan's past, like, it, I did feel like I wanted to give people a warning that those issues would be there just in case. It didn't feel like something that I wanted to spring on people, I suppose. Um, But at the same time, it felt important to me not to shy away from those sort of heavy topics like grief and self-harm and things like that.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad that you you don't shy away from them because, you know, certainly as a teenager myself, those were things that I was going through. And, you know, seeking out books or movies or entertainment of some form that has that kind of, uh, that those themes in there really helped me personally deal with that. And certainly reading this made me understand, okay, this is going to be really helpful for, for some people going through something similar. And seeing how a, a hero or a character that they can possibly relate to gets through this is really helpful. Was that ever in your mind while you were writing this? I
0: think I wanted to make sure that I portrayed it in, like, a, a sensitive way, um, even though, like, a lot of the darker themes are part of the world building, I suppose, and the magic system. I didn't want it to be, like, a set dressing kind of gratuitous, you know, just something that was there for shock value. I tried mm-hmm. very hard to sort of portray a lot of the deeper issues as something quite sort of sensitively handled. I mean, I'm only drawing from my own You know my own understanding and my own personal experience, but I hope that I could, I that I've done a job where I've portrayed it in like a sensitive manner, and that people will find sort of a maybe like a solace or something in it that will be like a way of reflecting back on themselves or something like that as they read it.
1: Yeah, let's talk about the world building for a moment because I mean, I. I'm always in admiration of people who can create a whole new world out of nothing, essentially. And, you know, especially ones that are are, are tinged with magic or fantasy or or that kind of um, the realism that we don't have in our society as a whole. Um, How do you make those kinds of aspects, the fantasy aspects, feel organic, feel real?
0: It's such a challenge, especially writing like a first person narrative, because it's a lot harder to do kind of organic exposition with, you know, because like you've literally got the character telling you the story. So I think I tried with a lot of, this was done with like a lot of support and help from my editor as we did revisions too. But I tried very hard to kind of just weave it in so that a lot of those details were just there as part of everyday life versus the character having to stop and be like okay let me tell you about how magic works and so I think I tried to keep my focus on making things like magic and even like smaller details like clothing and food and the rituals and the way like the system of government works with the bit at the start where they're giving like the village ties Mm. I just tried to make that all sort of just part of the, the background to the story so that it felt very real and part of the world, but it was a lot of fun building it all and trying to like work out the the way the magic system could be sort of explained in an organic way and hopefully I achieved that. I think there's always like this kind of, it's always a bit clumsy trying to give all of those details, but it was, it was definitely a lot of fun building the world and including all of the little details like the food they ate and the way their clothes looked and how people do the magic system and things like that.
1: Yeah, I, I really liked it. And what I liked about this as well is, it, you know, it's there's so much... I'm kind of skirting around the actual narrative itself because I, I feel that this is something that I think that people should discover for themselves as they read it and the twists and turns and all those kinds of things. But I felt that... It was again very lived in. Like I could, I could visualize everything really wonderfully, and I'm very excited to see where you go here next. How did you? Did you always plan for it to be a series, or did you always have kind of a, a roadmap of I need to touch on these narrative plot points in this first book, and then the second one will head here, and then uh, we'll see where it goes from there? Is that what you were planning? No, it was actually I sold it as a
0: standalone, and I was lucky enough to sell a two book deal, but my publisher in the US, we never really discussed like what the second book was going to be. So I kind of just assumed that it would be a standalone. So I'd, you know, do Lakes and then another standalone. And when I mentioned it to my editor, I said, did you want to see like a plan for my next book? And she said, oh, we were thinking that if Lakes does well enough, we'd like to make it into a series. And so I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> and I think I'd always had a little bit of a plan in the back of my mind for like when the book was on submission, if I was asked, what would you do to turn it into a series? I'd had this sort of vague idea of like, oh, well, I'd take the last chapter and put it at the very end and then I'd stretch these things out and see if I could explore them over like a whole book. So once she sort of raised that point, I started thinking about it. And there was a few elements in the book as a standalone that I wasn't able to explore, like letters relationship with the Lord Under um, was one of the things, like I wanted to explore it with a bit more depth, but there just wasn't room to go into the depths that I wanted in the first book. So giving it a second book gave me all of this space to suddenly stretch everything out and slow down some things and add more details that I didn't quite have room to cover in, like, a single volume. So it ended up being, like, not expected and not something that I'd always planned, but when I started writing it as a sequel... I felt like it unlocked a lot of the plot points in book one that I'd kind of felt a bit stuck on. So I'm glad that it's ended up this way. Um, And I'm currently working on revisions for Forest Bowl, which is the second book. So it's kind of nice to be still in the world of the book for a little bit longer while the first one's about to come out
1: yeah yeah i can imagine and i mean i don't mean to to look so immediately to the next one but it's just because (laughs) having finished this i'm like i'm very excited to see what goes on next (laughs) so it's like yeah
0: i think it ends like a good point to hopefully keep people engaged and it's yeah it's funny to think now everyone has to wait like a whole year to find out but hopefully it will be worth the wait it'll be fun to be back here next september waiting for the second book
1: yeah, but a year is you know years tend to go by pretty quickly nowadays, so it it it, it will be here before we know it, and I'm very excited I for that. Um, <laughs> one of the key aspects that I'm really curious about as well is, of course, this is a it's very steeped in gothic romance, and it, it touches on a lot of those themes really, really wonderfully. Uh, and as a fan of the genre, um, both literary and uh, you know in in cinema and things like that, I'm I'm curious as to Uh, what draws you personally to the genre and what what kind of uh, aspects of the genre are the ones that you really enjoy working with?
0: I've always really loved sort of dark fantasy, fairy tale, Gothic type stories. I was like a very committed teenage goth kid and (laughs) very into like sort of early nineties Gothic fiction, like Anne Rice and Poppy B. Bright and things like that. And I think it's just always been something that's really drawn me, partly just the aesthetic to it and maybe the heightened intensity of emotion. Writing about characters' sort of emotional journeys has always been one of my favourite things to focus on and I really love how interior all of the character development and story development in Gothic fiction is because it's quite a internal, psychological, small world kind of storytelling so I think I've always just kind of gravitated to it because of that and it's I suppose in part inspired by a lot of the gothic books that I adored growing up and films and you know like the work of Tim Burton and the um Bram Stoker's Dracula film mm. from the 90s and things like that. There's just, I don't know, I was talking to someone the other day and saying how, like, I think the 90s and early 2000s just had this really wonderful range of, like, very inspirational kind of dark fantasy-type media. And so maybe it's just been, like, a, a product of my environment or something. <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah, I, I, I really love it. It's just such a nice sort of place to write, especially young adult books, because, you know, like a young adult kind of story is always quite emotionally focused. Well, not always, but can be quite emotionally focused, especially when dealing with things like striking out on your own for the first time or solving like a big problem or falling in love. And so putting it in a gothic setting seems to do really well to play off against that.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, bringing up Dracula, especially that version, is um, that's one of the films that came to mind, and and also Crimson Peak as well.
0: Yeah, uh, Crimson Peak definitely. Yeah. It's like, I love all of Del Toro's films so much. He's just got such a beautiful visual eye, and between like Crimson Peak and Pan's Labyrinth, I think the two of those were quite inspirational for me.
1: Yeah, very much so, and and I think I don't know. If the, I feel like this is possibly a bit of a spoilerific question. So, if people are listening and they they want to kind of uh, not go further, <laughs> then but I, I just kind of want to talk about the allure of darkness, that that romance there, that that kind of is is within the text, and um, you know, the 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 kind of the person that maybe we probably shouldn't be falling for, and and things like that. What was the the, the creation of uh, characters like that? Um, who are kind of built up in the world really brilliantly. Um, where was that kind of uh, that interest in, in drawing out that kind of relationship in this particular story here?
0: I think I've always just really, really enjoyed like a monster-slash-villain romance. I mean, I like remember being really, really obsessed with like Sound of the Opera and mm. um, Silence of the Lambs between like Lecter and Starling and... Um, even Beauty and the Beast and Labyrinth when I was quite young watching those and sort of, you know, being very disappointed when the beast turned back into a prince. I was like, oh, same. I like him better <laughs> as <me."> <laughs> <laughs> And when Sarah didn't stay in the Labyrinth, I mean, it made complete sense for her not to, but at the same time, I was like, oh, I would have stayed. So I think it was really fun just to explore that type of romantic dynamic. and um, I kind of got to go in two sort of directions with it because there's two kind of monstrous characters and both of them represent a very different versions of monstrosity. Like, so that was a lot of fun to have, like, the real actual villain monster and then the kind of monster romance interest who is still quite monstrous, but, like, emotionally there's a different resonance to him. And, again, I think it just gave so much scope for, like, that really lovely, like, emotional character arc and that sort of thing that i really enjoy focusing on
1: yeah i i felt that too and i certainly um you know coming back to the the thinking of the 90s aesthetics like this only just kind of come to mind now but there was always in the 90s films at least there was always this kind of push for oh, the bad boy and all that kind of stuff and they're always really (laughs) terrible people But here, that that kind of narrative is kind of, it's matured in a way that I really respect and and enjoy because uh, there's still, you know, there's still an aspect of evil there, but you can understand who they are in a way, uh, which is really nice to see. Yeah.
0: I think it was really important for me to write a book that kind of made Letta quite empowered, even though she is kind of like, her whole arc is that she has very little power, but... I didn't want her to be kind of falling for this terrible, you know, like terrible person who treated her badly. And even though Ron's kind of like, he's quite rude at the start, at least like when she asks, like someone asks her name and he's like, Oh, she's no one. Don't worry about it. Mm. Um, But I didn't want him to sort of be kind of like this terrible person that she kind of loved, even though it was a bad choice. So there's like a lot of tenderness when the two of them, begin to see the similarities in both of their situations and this idea of, like, he is somebody who can perhaps reach into the darkness where I've been on my own and understand me. And it was, yeah, it was very important to me that even though he's quite monstrous and dangerous at times even, that it was never, there was always this sort of balance where he was quite tender with her and she still had some kind of, like, power in the dynamic between them.
1: Yeah. Uh, It's kind of like a a, a closing question, because I I really enjoyed talking about this book with you and and enjoying getting an insight into the world. Uh, One of the kind of other aspects, and this kind of comes back to the the content warnings in a way, um, that I really appreciate about what you've got on your website is you have a, a Pinterest page, which has got the visual imagery that has kind of inspired the book. And then you also have a Spotify playlist as well, which, you know, adds into the whole world. And I wonder, for me at least, it it helped, having listened to the Spotify playlist, I'm like, oh, this is helping me say in the world while I'm away from the book. Was that kind of your intention, or was it just to give the readers a a kind of a hand to say, this is what I was experiencing while I was, or at least enjoying while I was writing the book?
0: Maybe a little bit of both. That's really cool, though, to hear that you enjoyed the music playlists especially. I love making playlists. It's so fun, and I think I'm such a visual, um, like, creatively inspired by visual things. Like, a lot by cinema and images. And often when I'm creating, like, a new project, the first thing I'll do will be to build, like, a Pinterest board. And I just – I think it was my way of trying to sort of show a little bit of insight into, like, what was going on inside my mind and visualization of the story. But I really – I always really enjoy seeing other authors' versions of – their inspiration boards and listening to music playlists for other books. So it was fun to be able to create one of those to go along with mine as well.
1: Yeah. Well, I really enjoyed it and I, I really enjoyed the book and I enjoyed talking to you. So thank you so much for your time. And, and once again, congratulations on the launch day. And um, is so it's a launch day in Australia and then it's coming out a bit later on in America. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. So today's launch day in Australia and then it's out in the 28th the 28th of September in the US and then the 12th of October in the UK. So I've got kind of like a couple of months long celebration, which is pretty fun.
1: Well, certainly, you know, make sure you, uh, you you wallow it and celebrate it as much as you can and, and remember all the good moments because um, this is, I feel this is going to be the start of a really great, exciting career. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where you go from here. Yeah.
0: you it was lovely to chat with you I'm so glad you enjoyed reading the book
1: yeah thank you very much and um I will certainly say thank you to Pam McMillan as well for sending me the book and and letting me know that I could have a chat to you as well I appreciate that too (laughs) (laughs) no
0: they've been lovely they've been such a dream publisher to work with I feel really lucky to have such a great Australian publisher
1: for my stories yeah, oh, that's fantastic. All right, Linda. Well, you have a great day and really um again, once again, celebrate today and enjoy every moment of it. You you deserve it.
0: I will. Thank you. Cheers.
1: No worries. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> That was Lyndall Clipstone talking about her new book, Lake's Edge, which is out in Australian bookstores today via Pam Macmillan Australia. And as you heard, will be out and around the rest of the world uh, very, very soon. I highly recommend checking out this book and giving it a read, especially if you know some young adult folks in your life who might be interested in some gothic romance or a little bit of fantasy. I know that that is a really uh, a strong genre that folks really enjoy, and certainly for fans who like it. ...getting involved in new series as well. Uh, as mentioned, there is a second book that is coming out next year. Uh, fortunately enough, as soon as I turned over the last chapter... ...there is a little bit of a spiel about what to expect from *Forest Fall*, ...which is coming out in 2022. So... If you're already excited about Lakes Edge, which you should be, then make sure to get excited about Forest Fall as well, which comes out next year. Uh, thank you again for listening, folks. I really appreciate it. If you want to hear other interviews that I've done, head over to thecurb.com.au. Uh, follow us on social media, The Curb AU, on both Facebook and on Twitter. And if you want to go the extra step, you can always head over to patreon.com forward slash The Curb AU. For as little as a dollar a month, you help keep this website nice and independent and helpful and you bring um, me bring you rather interviews just like this thank you very much guys take care of each other stay safe and be kind to one another
0: love this podcast support it and sponsor today
1: simply head to OzcastNetwork.com for details let Safeway help you unleash your globe with your favorite personal care products. Right now with Safeway, get great deals on all your favorite personal care products, like Head & Shoulders Base Shampoo, Pressed 3D Whitening Toothpaste, Listerine Antiseptic Mouthwash, Sensodyne Sensitivity Fresh Toothpaste, Degree Women Antiperspirant Deodorant, or Soft Soak Liquid Hand Soap. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local Safeway store for more deals and specific details.